After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that's never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would shout. This is the word of the Lord. Eight weeks ago, I stood again on the Mount of Olives. It's just a hill. It's a very familiar hill to you if you watch the evening news. Whenever a reporter wants you to know that she's reporting from Jerusalem, she stands on the top of the Mount of Olives. She faces east so that the cameras are facing west. And what you see in the background are the two mosques, the Dome of the Rock and El-Aqsa Mosque that now sit atop the Temple Mount where once Solomon's magnificent temple stood. Those who were traveling with Gail and me were getting their picture taken on camels, buying postcards, and I was looking all around. The guide suddenly walked up to me and asked, do you want them to get back on the bus and ride down to Gethsemane, or do you want them to walk? And I said, they need to walk. Some of them are very old, she said. I said, they need to walk. We will walk. And we walked down that winding trail. How could you not walk down that winding trail? I thought about Palm Sunday morning. Jesus and the disciples had come all the way down the Jordan River Road, had come to Jericho, and then had made that 17-mile climb through the hills. Two little villages just behind me, Bethany, Bethphage, they're still there after 2,000 years. Jesus turned to two of the disciples and said, I want you to go into the village. You'll see a colt tied there. We saw one at Nazareth. Nazareth is a very modern city today, has 75,000 people, by far the majority of them Palestinians, Arabs. It doesn't look at all like it did when Jesus was a boy. Scholars believe it had only 300 people when Jesus was a boy. Someone has recreated that little village of 300 we went to see it. We saw sheep and goats and shepherds. We saw women who were spinning and weaving. We saw others who were carpenters and stonemasons. We saw a little Jenny and her colt. He was so cute. Had his winter coat, little black hair stood out all from his body. He'd been around tourists before. He'd just follow folks around if they would pat him on the neck or scratch him behind the ear. It was one like that that Jesus sent the disciples to bring, one on whom no one has ever ridden. You see, it's a way of purity. You use an animal that's never been used for any other purpose. 
in the way that just before the service, I rushed into the men's room again just to scrub my hands because I wanted to come into this baptism, you see, feeling that I was as clean as I could be before I dipped my hands into the bowl and placed water on the heads of these four special children of God. A little colt on which no one has ever ridden before. Let's look at this story. Number one, Luke was using very expensive writing material. He had to choose his words carefully, and yet he uses six verses to tell you about this finding the colt and telling the owner, the Lord's ready for him now. Let him go. They let him go. They brought him back to Jesus. It's very important, he sees, that Jesus ride the way Zechariah said he would ride. In Handel's Messiah, the last few years, Aaron Studebaker has sung this part. Rejoice, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king cometh unto you, meek and lowly, and riding on a donkey comes he to you. Dr. Sam Wells succeeded Dr. William Willeman as dean of the chapel at Duke University, Duke Divinity School. Dr. Willeman became a bishop. He's now bishop in Alabama. Dr. Sam Wells wrote recently about Lent and said, I remember when our children were small and they would have one of those diapers really soggy wet or soiled and how young parents really hate to deal with one of those. But what happened to the baby when you took that soggy, soiled fabric from away from her or him, their little arms kick and little legs kick because they are free. Like Adam and Eve, he said, free. God said, I've given you this beautiful place. Don't eat off that tree. If you do, you will die. They decided they would listen to a talking snake and do exactly what God had told them not to do. And suddenly they felt separated from God and naked. And they hid in the bushes and began to stitch fig leaves together. Dr. Wells said, Lent begins with our nakedness. We are asked to kneel on our knees while someone whispers in our ear as he or she marks a black cross on your forehead from dust you came to dust you shall return. Lent begins with our nakedness. It ends with Jesus' nakedness, he said. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, mocked him, and crucified him. And his nakedness changed the world forever. Number two says the whole multitude of the disciples. Last year, Rabbi Zimmerman reminded us that most of the people who first encountered the Bible heard it with their ears. Most of them could not read nor write. They had to have someone else read to them. And so the unforgivable sin when one cannot read nor write is forgetting. One must remember. And so key words stand out. He said, for us... A book like the Gospel of Luke would be writ read in one sitting. In one sitting, it would be read to people. And they would have heard at the very beginning about a plethoros, Luke's word, 
a plethora of angels. We have the word plethora in English. They translate it multitude. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host singing to those shepherds out in the field. Glory to God. Remember? And now you get right to the end of Luke's scroll and it's been replaced by a plethora of followers, of disciples. Disciples who've walked up that dusty road with Jesus to Jerusalem. Recently, a new book, The Forgotten Founding Father. The Forgotten Founding Father. We all think of Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, John Adams. Well, this author says the one we've forgotten about is Noah Webster. We ought not forget Noah Webster, he said. He was born in 1758. His parents had a small little farm in Connecticut. They wanted their son to have benefit of education. They saved as diligently as they could and packed him off to a little place called Yale University. There he was trained, taught. And when he was graduated, he was a part of a whole new country. He was only 18 and on his way to Yale when the Declaration of Independence was issued. And now the Constitutional Convention was meeting and he knew there were lots of people in this new country that could not read nor write nor spell. He wrote a book, the American Spelling Book, and it sold a lot of copies, enough for him to set out on producing the first dictionary in America. There were some who said, you don't need to do that. Samuel Johnson has a fine dictionary of the English language, and he said, but we are coming from many different places and bringing many different words and they all need to be in our dictionary. He spent 30 years compiling 70,000 words in his first dictionary. The book wouldn't have been quite so fat if he hadn't had so much to say about every word. Let me read you just one entry, the word mercy. Mercy is that benevolence mildness or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves, the disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespass and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than law or justice will warrant. In this sense, there is perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy, that which comes closest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity, or compassion, and clemency, but exercised only toward offenders. Mercy is a distinguishing attribute of the supreme being. Those who had followed Jesus had experienced that in Jesus of Nazareth. The mercy, the grace of God. Number three. Luke says they were Pharisees always tagging along, fault finders, whiners, complainers. Tell your disciples to be quiet. Don't you understand that Pontius Pilate and his armies are coming from the western side of the city? Tell them to be quiet. We cannot afford trouble this week. And Jesus said, if I told them to keep silent, the very stones would shout. Dr. Fred Craddock has written on this passage, 
there are some things that just have to be said. There's some things that just have to be said. What a great anthem this choir did. Wonderful anthem our children did. At 8.30, our chapel choir had a great anthem. Isaac Watts, when I survey the wondrous cross. Isaac Watts was born in England 30 years before the Wesley brothers came along. But he decided before they, there were some things about the Church of England that needed to be reformed. And though he became a scholar in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, could have easily been ordained an Anglican priest, he chose to become a pastor in the dissenting church. And for all those years that he was a pastor doing what pastors need to do to look after their flock, he composed more than 600 hymns. You know a number of them. And the one our youth did this morning, he wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross, upon the, which the prince of glory died, moves through verse after verse and finally says, Demands my soul, my life, my all. If you believe he is the king of glory, you have to say it. Number four. I'm going back up in the reading a little farther now to that business about their bringing the little donkey and then starting to take their outer clothes off, spread some across the back of this little animal. It says they set Jesus on him, and then others began to take their outer garments off and stretch them along the road. Dr. Fred Craddock says, These are not the people who will scream on Friday morning, crucify him. These are the poor, the lame, the former blind and crippled who have followed him all the way down the river road and up the hill to Jerusalem. They would die for him. They would die for him. And those garments, not silk, Homespun, homespun wool, hand-knitted scarves, clothing dusty and sweat-stayed, the best they had, which is all he asked of them, which is all his father asked of him.